Hey everyone, welcome back to the Goody Reader Radio Show. My name is Michael, and I'm joined today by one Jeremy Greenfield of Digital Book World. Jeremy, what's uh, this haps? It's been a quite a slow uh, news month, but a lot of stuff has still happened in the ever-exciting world of digital book publishing. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, uh, Barnes & Noble released their latest quarterly results, and um, I don't know if either of us are surprised that uh, Nook continues to uh, bleed money. Not at all. Um, you know, the the company has uh, cut many jobs. The company has... Uh, stopped investing nearly so much in new technology, and that saved the, the company some money, but the core business just continues to be a, a massive money loser. Um, and you know, I think that investors are probably happy to see the losses decrease uh, somewhat, but they're probably also disturbed that revenues have been really just getting cut down at an increasing clip quarter to quarter. I mean, what's left when you cut everything? It just looks like there isn't a business there, unfortunately, for Barnes & Noble. So let's talk about some of the the things that came out of that recent report, as well as uh, new uh, news items that popped up since then. So they have, since fiscal 2014 begun, 190 Nook positions have been eliminated. So this kind of follows to your, you know, once you cut so much things, you know, what's really left, right? I mean, absolutely. On the one hand, they need the, the they need to save money, but on the other hand, you know, the core business is losing money on on devices and and, and probably losing money on content as well. Um, so, you know, right now, if if they cut out a lot of those uh, a lot of the overhead and expenses, you know, they might get to a less uh, unprofitable state. Um, but what happens in the future when competitors are coming out with the next generation and the next generation of devices and Nook is just left behind? Um, there's this, the idea that the strategy would be to have apps on other people's devices, um, but that's really unproven at this point. All right. So there's after these cuts, there's the Nook division has 500 people working for it. Do you think that there's further cuts on the people front imminently? Absolutely. The company has already earmarked $40 million in restructuring costs. So I don't know how many people that translates out to, but quite a few. Now, do you think that they're eliminating a lot of the people involved in it? Because, you know, for one, it seemed like with a large crew or the existing crew of people that Nook has been unprofitable for like four years, you know, plus. So do you think that one of the prime motivations of sort of losing all these people is like, well, we, we gave you guys a chance and, you know, in four years we haven't really turned things around, we're not profitable, you know, the, the digital sales are, aren't making up for the money we're losing on hardware sales. Do you think that that all plays a role in it? You know, I think for the senior leadership, yes. Uh, you know, uh, early on in the past six months, a lot of the senior leadership were left or pushed out or they're just not there anymore. Um, and, and certainly William Lynch is, is the number one example of that uh, from last summer. But I think with the, the, the people who are being cut now, it's not that they they failed and they're you know going to be replaced by other people to try the same thing. I mean, this is a situation uh, where the company needs to stop losing so much money, so it needs to get smaller and leaner. So speaking of smaller and leaner, a lot of the people that we're replacing, uh, you know, guys like Jim Hilt, they're actually being hired internally. So do you think that the right play from Barnes & Noble is to 
hire the executives that left or were fired internally, or do you think that it would be better if they hired external talent? You know, I, I don't even know if that's the right question to ask because uh, I think Barnes & Noble needs to consider fundamentally, you know, where this business is headed. So, I, I, I mean, I think right now and over the next few months, you need people to keep the machine running. Um, but I, I don't know if you decide, well, we need to replace these executives who have left and have them doing the same kinds of jobs, um, because I don't know if you want it to be the same kind of business in a year or two from now. Uh, and I really don't know what the end game is for uh, for Barnes & Noble here, because it's just been bleeding market share uh, and, and bleeding revenue for so long. It's a much smaller business than it was before. It, was, it seems like it was on the cusp of scaling a few years ago um, and really challenging Amazon. Uh, and having a significant market share, but it, it really didn't get to that the, the crest of that hill and is now sliding down the backside. Um, so, you know, by, by my calculation, I would say that Apple is easily the number two ebook seller in the U.S. right now. Um, you know, based on just how how bad Barnes and Noble has done in the past two or three quarters. Well. I guess what uh, I've been listening to what some analysts have been saying about Barnes & Noble's market share in the U.S., and they said that the, the bookseller still controls 20% of the ebook market uh, in the U.S. So if you look at Amazon, I don't think that's true. That's, that's just not true. Really? That, that's just patently not true. I mean, look at its revenues over the past quarter. So you think that the ebook market last quarter was, you know, for like, you know, a couple hundred million dollars. I mean, really, we're talking that the ebook market's $250 million, if that's true, uh, for the quarter, and that means it would be about a billion for the year, but we know that the ebook market was about $2 billion in the previous year, uh, and I doubt it's gotten smaller. Um, so I don't think 20% is right at all, actually. I think it's much lower than that. Well, they sold $50 million worth of ebooks, digital content, magazines, uh, last quarter. So, Sure. It's, so even if that is all ebooks, yeah, which it isn't, and so 20% would mean that the quarter was a 250 million dollar quarter for ebooks, uh, and that's just not tracking with what we know about the size of the ebook market yeah. in the U.S. So I don't think that 20% is right. I think it's it's closer to 10% than 20%. To be honest, I would guess somewhere between 10 and 15%. Now, and that's a that's a complete guess, but I'm just basing it on what we've seen in the marketplace so far. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at what the what the market place earns on a quarterly by quarterly basis and then you look at what digital content sales that Barnes & Noble had and we could kind of extrapolate a little bit of, you know, maybe not a definitive figure, but we can get it about as close as the industry can possibly get. So let's say that Barnes & Noble has, you know, between 9 and 10% of the, the U.S. market. Do you think that's on the decline? Do you think that they are have is can they go lower? Is what I'm asking. I'm sorry. What was that last thing you said? Okay, so can it, can it go lower? Yeah, I mean, do you think that they pretty well kind of plateaued out and they're going to stay consistent and like nine, ten percent of the the U.S. market, or do you think that they're going to decline further? Uh, it's really hard to say. I mean, anything could happen. Uh, I think if the leadership of Barnes and Noble was very, very smart, it would find a way to sell. Uh, most of its stake in the business and uh, let another company take it over and make a go at it. Um, I, I think it absolutely could go lower. I mean, it's possible. A lot of people I talk to don't believe there's going to be a Nook business by the end of the year. Well, they are betting that there will be because at the last shareholder call, they announced plans for a new Nook tablet, Jeremy, a new Nook tablet. 
Are you excited? Yeah, yeah, and I'm not excited because the <laughs> tablet has never been a, a very good product compared to the alternatives, and it certainly hasn't been a best-in-class product. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't see any, you know, if, if Nook comes out with a must-have tablet, then uh, that, that, that certainly could help turn things around. Well. Um, but I don't think that that's going to happen. I mean, really, it could turn around any time. It could come out with a brilliant marketing campaign or, or, or a must-have device or, um, you know, maybe uh, there's a celebrity coalition put together of people who want to save Nook and convince, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of Americans to sign on to it. But with no international presence, with non-best-of-class devices, um, without a good tablet, without cash, bleeding money, momentum going in the wrong direction, it's not looking good. You're painting a very bleak picture, Jeremy. Well, you know, <laughs> I have been uh, very bearish on Barnes & Noble over the past couple of uh, years, probably the past year and a half. Yeah. Um, so it's probably not a surprise to you to hear me saying that. No, but, uh, but it these makes are all me laugh anyway. we've witnessed in the marketplace. Yeah, sir. I mean, it, it's... You know, I only wish that Barnes & Noble would do really, really well. I would love to see Nook uh, grow the way it was growing when I first started at Digital Book World two and a half years ago. Um, it's not fun to see people lose their jobs, to see, pe to see uh, companies uh, go through these painful earnings announcements. Um, you know, that said, I can really only call it like I see it in this situation. Yeah, I mean, I... I wish that they that they could turn things around, you know. Like I think the the, the industry in the U.S. Uh, needs competition. You just can't have Amazon and like Apple dominating the entire landscape. It, it's it's not good for like the health of the industry. It's not good for like innovation. Um, I'd like to see Barnes and Noble turn things around, like desperately, because you know, for one, I mean, it would be good for our businesses. You know, the 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 more they turn things around, the more devices they release. You know. Know, the the big sh mm -hmm. executive shakeup news. That's like more people reading about it, more people getting excited. You know, it's, it's more visitors coming to our, like our website. But you know, it seems like the last year it's just been massive doom and gloom. You know, just yeah, yeah. I think all that stuff is true. You know, I mean, from a material perspective, the more the industry grows and thrives, uh, the healthier it is for for people like us in terms of our, our websites and whatnot. But but you know, I've been reporting on things like this for eight years or so, and I've seen. Uh, probably more layoff and firing and, and closing stories uh, than, than the opposite, and more than I'd like to see. And I have to tell you that it's not fun. Uh, I don't like it. I don't, I, don't, I don't get excited when there's a big story like that because it means people's lives are being affected and then they lose their jobs. And, and uh, you know, especially when you talk to the people themselves, it's very, very sad and very difficult. Um, so, yeah, I would like it if Barnes & Noble were doing well because it would mean you know, a little bit more interest in the industry. Um, that said... Uh, I I don't think that it's looking very good for the company. Uh, I am in total agreement. So let's talk a little bit about digital textbooks. There's been uh, a few stories that have broke actually just in the last day or two, um, starting with Ingram, a vital source, purchasing CourseSmart. And they're pretty well between these two companies. They have some of the largest global market share, although Ingram seems to do uh, really well in the U.S. And CourseSmart also in the U.S., but they've really been branching out internationally, uh, most notably in the U.K., in Saudi Arabia, India, and markets like that. Um, does this deal make sense, Jeremy? Uh, yeah, I think it does. I think, you know, first of all, uh, Ingram as a company historically, I mean, going back, 
decades and decades, has been very prescient about getting investing in the future, uh, getting into businesses that maybe didn't make sense initially, but were ultimately very good bets. Um, so, for instance, Ingram Content in general, you know, wasn't a company uh, until recently. Ingram made its uh, fortune on shipping. Um, but then, you know, Ingram Content was launched and, and its distribution business grew and grew because it made sense that they had the ships. Why not, uh, you know, distribute something like books that had a very special distribution system? Um, and, you know, Vital Source, uh, I'm sorry, Lightning Source was, was launched and nobody thought it would do well and it scaled every year and now print on demand is a very big and important business in the book publishing industry. I think Ingram looks out into the landscape and sees, uh, you know, obviously with its Vital Source business, um, that uh, something like CoreSmart is maybe not uh, a booming business today, uh, although it is successful, um, but in the future that this is the future of education. Ingram is often looking to get into, uh, in on that ground floor. Yeah, I mean, I actually spoke uh, on the phone with uh, a number of uh, Ingram uh, people today, and they kind of elaborated a little bit more at the de- uh, on the deal. And at the, the end of the show, I'm going to play a little bit of our phone interview that we had today. Uh, but suffice to say, um, when they sent out the press release today, they were mainly talking about assets, so uh, existing uh, textbooks, uh, additional uh, tech infrastructure. CoreSmart was really known for their analytics. So they really had really good metrics and heat mapping tools for their textbooks so uh, publishers and partners could look at, you know, what pages are viewed more often, how long students are devoting to uh, an individual page, and that kind of really helps the publishers uh, make the next generation of textbooks a little bit more compelling. Uh, Big data, as you know, Jeremy, is everything in in publishing now. You know, you can learn a lot through uh, readers' reading habits as like a publisher or as like a distribution company uh, to really understand how they're interacting with the book. So uh, what I've heard is that a lot of the executives from Course Smart now will be working for Ingram and it'll be at least three to four months before we see any adoption of technology or the inclusion of the Course Smart catalog into Ingram and even uh, to the elimination of the Course Smart brand. So they, they said that it's going to take a, a long time. They, they want to be strategic about when they start doing things because as we know, the deal was just announced today and big things like this don't happen overnight. So we're likely going to see like a good six months of not really anything really changing and just some slow background adoption. And likely by about the end of the year, we'll start to see more movement happening. But until then, I think it's just business as usual uh, for both companies. Well, you know, Ingram has made acquisitions in the past. It has an investment arm. It's a very large company with many moving parts. Um, You know, I'm guessing that the integration will happen uh, you know, slowly um, but efficiently. Okay, so you had something that you wanted to talk about, uh, Amplify. Well, you know, uh, because there's a lot of stuff happening in the education space today. Um, Amplify is the uh, education technology division of News Corp. It has about a thousand employees, and it just announced uh, early this morning uh, a new uh, curriculum for language arts. Uh, for middle school kids in the U.S. And, um, you know, the headlines of this, I think, are that, first of all, it costs $45 per student per year. 
Um, and that is extremely uh, inexpensive by what I've been told. And second of all, uh, it really takes advantage of what we've been talking about for a while now, which is the new Common Core standards that many, most of the states in the U.S. have adopted. It really makes it possible for a company that's small and scrappy to put out a, a curriculum or a set of materials that can be sold to anyone uh, across the country. Um, so I think it's a really interesting story because it's a big play from Amplify, which has been around for a while, has a very high-profile CEO, Joel Klein, the former chancellor of New York City Schools, and it also really takes advantage of the Common Core. And I think a lot of publishers have been paying attention to what's going on with the Common Core, but I'm not sure how many have been doing all that much about it. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about uh, – the digital textbook industry today. I mean, it seemed like just overnight a lot of big deals were announced. Um, obviously, those deals were in the works for a fairly long time before they're actually put out in a press release. What are your thoughts, Jeremy, on a digital adoption in textbooks? Um, I know in Canada, it's not really big here. Uh, even like the top universities about the most that they do is sell PDF files off their websites. They don't have any type of content delivery system. They surely as hell don't have apps. You know, they, they don't do business with any of the big American companies like Chegg or, uh, you know, CourseSmart or Ingram or, you know, any of these companies. So, and then this is Canada. We're a pretty tech-savvy, you know, country, uh, country here. But it makes me think about the greater world at large and how it really seems like the digital textbook market is very immature and underdeveloped in most countries, whereas e-books and, and digital publishing in general, more widely accepted. You know, I, this is a really difficult question, but I think the U.S. market is so large and significant and it's finally solidified that um, really that's the important development right now. That said, there are other countries like Australia that have uh, common uh, school requirements across the country that uh, companies, even in this country, are playing with in terms of delivering new kinds of uh, educational technology and course materials. But I think if you look around the world um, that you really – should think about the way technologies are adopted. Um, you know, there are many, many places in Africa, for instance, that never had landlines. Um, but they have, everyone has a cell phone now. So I think based on cost and what's happening in the rest of the world, um, you may see technologies leapfrog. So I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, one of the next places that some of these educational technologies go is places where a really inexpensive, portable, uh, modular solution like digital materials and digital devices makes a lot of sense. All right. So... Let's talk a little bit about ebook discovery. And this is, you know, I guess for about the last year and a half, book discovery, digital book discovery has been one of the most hotbed topics. I mean, Goodreads is a, co is a company that specializes in book discovery and also a, a big a, a, like social community talking about literature purchased by Amazon. And it seems as though that almost everyone's getting into this space and we hear about a new Simon & Schuster uh, initiative that has launched today that will more or less talk a little bit about uh, you know, books, essays about books, a featured book of the day done by Simon & Schuster. 
Yeah, and Simon & Schuster, actually, this is the second play it's made in this area. Uh, first was 250 Words, which is a vertical site focused on business books, publisher agnostic, supposedly. Uh, we actually did an interview with the editors of 250 Words, and they were pretty adamant about being publisher agnostic. And I actually think that that's a really smart uh, move to make. Um, because what, what 250 Words and Off the Shelf really want to do is develop a large audience of people who trust them as a place to go for information about um, you know, business books and, and backlist books that they may have missed. Um, and to do that, you really need to talk about all of them, not just the ones uh, published by Simon & Schuster. Um, Simon & Schuster isn't alone in doing this. You know, F&W Media, my own company, uh, for many years has been in this sort of vertical content uh, business and has this sort of holistic cycle of providing information that people want and then also selling them books and other products uh, to go along with that information. Um, so, you know, this is something that's happening uh, across the industry. Uh, HarperCollins has recently launched Narnia.com, and there are, are, are more uh, such uh, launches on the way from HarperCollins, I've been told. Um, and the idea is really to engage people. And I think publishers are learning, uh, if they haven't already, that the best way to engage people is the way they've done it for forever, which is by providing them information and stories that they like. So do you think that there's too many of these services up that it's hard that some of these get just lost in a shuffle? Um, you know, the Internet is a really big place, and there are um, billions of people on it. So I think that the book game and the online media game in general is a very low uh, percentage game. You know, we have a level of engagement and traffic on digitalbookworld.com that we're happy with, but we don't even come close to hitting the universe of people that, that we could hit that, that might be interested in stuff that we provide. So um, because the Internet's so ubiquitous, I don't think that 250 words has to be known as the number one place for people to get business information uh, on business books, or off the shelf has to be known as the only place to find out information about books that they may want to read. I just think it has to be a place and a reliable place. Um, so I I think that if the, if the companies that are doing these things do them well and are able to engage enough people, then it pays off. Um, I think that if they, uh, if they don't put to make the right investments or right decisions, then, then it won't pay off. But I don't think that you know, competition on the web is, should really scare people away. So speaking of being happy with levels of web traffic, uh, I've been ex I'm, I'm thinking about experimenting with a new business model of Goody Reader and I want to get your thoughts. Um, you know when you pay for groceries and there's a bunch of uh, tabloids near the cash register about, you know, uh, people's big butts or people getting married, uh, gossip rags, you know, uh, things like mm -hmm. TMZ. I, I'm thinking about becoming the TMZ of the publishing world where it's just all sensationalist headlines, you know, look at this big, the CEO's big butt, or, you know, <laughs> uh, Amazon, okay. Amazon to buy Barnes & Noble, just like big sensationalist headlines, totally groundless and baseless, but it's like, yeah. you know, the, the, all those magazines sell, which is why they've pretty well been next to the cash register for as long as I've basically been alive. Do you think that this is a sound business decision on my part? Uh, I'm gonna say no. Uh, I I don't. I think the book publishing industry already has Galley Cat, which is sort of the gossipy uh, part of the book publishing industry, or Pub Publishers Lunch, which does that as well to some degree. Um, maybe not the same in the TMZ style. Uh, and I think that you know you've done well providing you know news. 
uh, and cost reviews and things like that. Uh, you know, you, your reputation may take a hit if you go down the trashy route. So I'm going to say no on that. But uh, if you do go that route, let me know, and I will certainly uh, take a second look at what you guys are doing. Sweet. Would you subscribe to our newsletter? I believe I already do. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. I may unsubscribe. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. All right, man. Well, um, we've this has just been a brief edition of the Goody Reader Radio Show. We've talked mainly about a lot of the breaking announcements that's happened today. Uh, over the last month, like Jeremy said, there, it's really been not that newsworthy. It just seems like quarter one of every single year is it's very dry. Everyone's sort of has that uh, holiday season hangover. Nobody's really announcing new products. It just seems like it's just business as usual until, you know, uh, summer kind of hits, and then we get into quarter three, quarter four, which is uh, the big rush of the holidays when all the new devices come out. So we will keep you guys up to date on the latest happenings of digital publishing, ebooks, e-readers, and a whole lot more. So you could visit digitalbookworld.com, which is uh, Jeremy's site, and uh, get up to date on the business side of publishing and get all of the latest news on that front. And then goodyreader.com specializes mainly in e-reader reviews, tutorials, uh, with a splash of industry coverage. So Jeremy, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Michael. Good to be back. All right. Everybody take care.